From cosmology to gastronomy, from the source of the Big Bang to a sauce with mushrooms and shallots, this is Frenzied and Sustained. I am Ian Spector. In this week's podcast for a post-stupid society, our brainy lecture looks at things that travel faster than light, and we will muse on the muon, the electron's chubby brother, and how it uses relativity to live much longer than it has any right to. Paul Simon's 50 Ways to Leave Your Lover, classic divorce manual or woefully disappointing counsel. We use pioneering mathematical techniques to show that at least 44 ways to leave your lover are still outstanding. We help Paul make up the shortfall. We have Hat of the Week, a segment that we're calling A Sauce, A Sauce, My Kingdom for a Sauce, as the recipe for a stunning tomato, basil, and chili sauce. In literally the last section, we consider words that have lost their opposite number. We are going to bring them back together. Now it's time for our brainy lecture. Can things travel faster than the speed of light? Was Einstein's theory of relativity wrong? The answer in that order is yes and no. The problem comes from the fact that the universe has been calculated to be 100 billion light years across, and yet the universe is only 13.7 billion years old. Surely then the universe can have a maximum radius of 13.7 billion light years, thus a diameter of 27 billion light years. Let's just remind ourselves of the units we're using here. In the words of Douglas Adams, space is big, really big. You just won't believe how hugely mind-bottlingly big it is. Now, no one wants to hear a grown man talk about gazillions or squillions of kilometers, so they use the mind-bogglingly big unit of distance called the light year. That is the distance light can travel in a vacuum in a year. That distance is approximately 10 trillion kilometers. So now let's consider a photon that was admitted shortly after the Big Bang. Those pioneering photons were sent out towards the Earth when they were only 42 million light years from us. So one might be forgiven for thinking that the photon would have reached us after 42 million years. But in fact, they only reached us today, 13.7 billion years later. You might think that southern rail is bad, but this photon was over 13 billion years late. It was not a lazy photon. It ran at the speed of light for the whole time. The problem was that the universe was expanding at almost the same speed as he was running. Imagine being on a kayak trying to paddle upstream for a distance of a kilometre. Unfortunately, the river is flowing in the opposite direction at 99.9% .9 of the speed that you're paddling. So whilst you only have to travel one kilometre, you end up paddling a thousand kilometres. So light that was emitted towards us at the speed of light when it was 42 million light years away took a cool 13.7 billion years to reach us. The universe at that point was expanding very close to, but not over, the speed of light. There is something else that we know. The further away things are in the universe, the faster they are moving away from us. We know this from the redshift, the Doppler effect of light that stretches out the wavelength as space that emits it gets stretched backwards. Rather like plucking a string on a guitar, then loosening the tuning pegs on the guitar. The note will get lower as the string gets longer. So brainy cosmologists calculated that anything more than 15 billion light years away is moving away from us faster than the speed of light. And as a result, the light being emitted from those stars right now 
will never reach Surbiton. The stars at this boundary have a redshift of close to 1.7. Now, 1.7 doesn't mean very much to us. Is it rare or common? Well, actually, it's surprisingly common. We have catalogued a number of quasars with a redshift of 5. The most distant photons that we can see are redshifted by a 1,000. The Hungarian mathematician John von Neumann said, Young man, in a Hungarian accent, Young man, in mathematics you don't understand things, you just get used to them. We will bump into Neumann again in a couple of minutes. Now for those of you whose heads just exploded, I'm sorry, but for the rest of you I'll answer the question, how can I see something if it is travelling faster than the speed of light away from me? For the first 9 billion years, the acceleration of the universe was slowing down, and then suddenly, 5 billion years ago, it started accelerating again. The culprit for this inflationary force is dark energy. Now, in case you're wondering if we'll be returning to dark energy in a future podcast, <laughs> oh yes, we will. So whilst we are observing stars that are currently leaving us faster than the speed of light, they were travelling below the speed of light when the photon set off. So when you factor in this inflation, our universe has expanded to a radius of about 46 billion light-years in 13.7 billion years. Now, just a minute, you're saying, Einstein said that to travel at the speed of light, you would have infinite mass and that time would dilate and distance you're travelling would foreshorten. Well, actually, none of that applies. The answer is in the word relativity. It would only risk a strike for breaking the law of special relativity were we to be observing it travelling faster than the speed of light from a frame of reference outside of it? Well, that's just silly. We're part of the universe, so also expanding. So, if we did find ourselves on a bridge above the expanding universe and not part of it, watching it whoosh past us faster than 300,000 kilometres a second, then that would be a cause to be pulled over by the relativity police. Now, our friend John von Neumann, we said we'd come back to him, he was caught by the police in the US for running a red light he decided to defend himself in court. His defence was that, due to blue shift and relativity, because he was travelling and the policeman wasn't, the red light for him was actually shifted to green, but not for the stationary policeman. The judge's eyes lit up. Mr Neumann, what precisely was your speed to have created a blue shift to change the traffic light from red to green? Not wishing to risk a violation for going a million kilometres an hour over the speed limit, Neumann changed his plea to guilty. So the furthest light we can actually see is from objects that are currently 46 billion light-years away. But anything that is currently further than 15 billion light-years away will never be visible to us. And it gets worse. That barrier keeps changing, and we keep losing stars. During the course of this podcast, we will lose 36 million stars never to be seen again. Note that was during the course of and not because of. Don't blame me for any of this. There will come a time in the future when our night sky will be almost empty. And now let's turn our attention to Paul Simon and his song, 50 Ways to Leave Your Lover. There are many people stuck in marriages today who can't get out as they relied upon 16 Grammy award-winning Paul Simon and his 50 Ways to Leave Your Lover. We have forensically studied the lyrics and identified at most six ways. Let's remind ourselves of the lyrics. You must slip out the back, Jack. Well, that's more a technical departing mechanism. Make a new plan, Stan. Well, make a new plan, Stan, isn't a plan at all. 
is actually telling Stan to come up with his own plan. You don't need to be coy, Roy. Totally not a plan. Hop on the bus, Gus. You don't need to discuss much. Drop off the key, Lee, and get yourself free. Okay. Slip out the back, Jack. So, 35-time nominated and 16 Grammy Award-winning artist Paul Simon, you promised 50 and you delivered four ways to leave your lover? Let's help him out with some additional ones. How about make a clean break, Jake? Do it face-to-face, Ace. It's not me, it's you, Stu. Change your Facebook status, Matius. Ghosting, Roisin. Get a divorce, of course. Create a Spotify playlist of 100 songs, each one being Taylor Swift's We Are Never Ever Getting Back Together Again. Fake your own death, Jeff. Put a post on your MySpace page and trust in the universe to work its magic. Do it through a sequence of emojis. Enter witness protection. Put a message on the dog's collar and let Patch do the heavy lifting. Send a postcard from Paraguay. Slow fade, Jade. Do it by text, Rex. Do it with fridge magnets. Spell it out in alphabetic spaghetti. Send a ransom note from a pirate. I was researching this uh, for ways to leave one's lover, and I came across Gwyneth Paltrow's website, Goop. Her advice was, refrain from any social media postings about your status, respect the transition. That strikes me as odd from the woman who went on worldwide media to explain her conscious uncoupling. But now I'm on Gwyneth Paltrow's Goop site, and I see what she's selling. And the thing that caught me eye was a this smells like my vagina candle. What does it smell like? No one is asking. Well, Gwyneth helps us out. Citrusy bergamot, geranium and cedar juxtaposed with damask rose and anabret seed. I have to confess, I didn't actually know what an ambret seed smelt like. So I went to the site fragrantia.com. It turns out that ambrette is the smell of Christian Dior Homme Intense 2011 aftershave. Can I just raise the possibility that the reason Paltrow's vagina smells of man's aftershave is by cross-contamination through direct contact? Anyway, this vagina candle can be yours for the... Oh, come on. It costs £69. Yeah, that's definitely not a coincidence. Anyway. Now I'm a long way from our inductee to the American Academy of Arts and Sciences, Paul Simon, because I was distracted. Next to the candle was a Gwyneth Paltrow six-piece enamel over aluminium cookware set. And that set smells like... Oh no, it doesn't mention that. Hmm, strangely silent. But that's a clever idea. You get the inert cooking surface of enamel without the weight of a Le Creuset iron pan. The cookware set will set you back £299 but on a per-item basis, that's only £49.83. I'm not in the market for new cookware, but if I was forced to choose between the pots and the crotch, those pans are looking pretty attractive. Back to our list. Just be honest with them. Well, that's just plain ridiculous. Just drift apart, Art. Like Rose and Jack in the Titanic. Can we just take a moment and consider that scene? 
Rose was on a huge buoyant door in the water, like a huge luxury raft. Jack was holding onto the side. Why didn't Rose pull him up? Why did Jack make no attempt to get on it? If Rose was to move to the back of this highly buoyant, beautifully appointed luxury floating boat in its own right, and Jack got on the other side, they would both have been saved. So I was trying to work out the buoyancy required for allowing boat two people to survive on the raft, and I found out that in 2012, Mythbusters did the experiment for me, and Rose and Jack could both have survived on the door. So we texted Rose this week and asked her whatever happened to Jack, and she said, we simply drifted apart. Now, I do want to add that I didn't really text the 126-year-old Rose DeWitt Bukater. Obviously, I used Instagram. So I just don't think Rolling Stone's eighth best songwriter of all time, Paul Simon, really put his heart into Finding 50 Ways. Nothing brought this home to me as much when I looked into how he actually left his lover. Paul Simon dated Carrie Fisher, then split up, got engaged to other people, got back together, split up, got back together again, decided not to split up but to get married instead. The marriage lasted 10 months, so they got divorced, but then dated for the next 10 years. So we're turning to this guy to help us leave our lovers. Stay in the mall, Paul. Pack a hold all, Paul. Walk out the hall, Paul. Rent a U-Haul, Paul. Dig a tunnel and crawl, Paul. So which methods have we listed that Paul Simon actually used to leave Carrie Fisher? Well, none of them. He went for the classic, visit your spiritual healer in Brazil, consume a psychedelic tea in a spirit cleansing ceremony, and suddenly discover you never want to see Carrie Fisher again. I guess, whilst effective, it does present some challenges in the rhyming scheme. Now it's time for Hat of the Week. The Hat of the Week is the Fedora. Famously worn by Frank Sinatra and Indiana Jones, it was Prince Edward who brought it to our attention by wearing it in 1924. The hat's wide brim gives it protection from the sun. Fedoras were made of felt, so provide significant warmth in the winter and reasonable protection against the rain. Is it too hot for summer? Perhaps, so if you decided to swap it for a Panama in hotter weather, I think that would be perfectly acceptable. Whatever you wear, please remove your hat on entering a house. We're not animals. Next is the segment we're calling A Source, A Source, My Kingdom for a Source. <coughs> a source is the harmony in a meal. A stunning sauce will elevate a humble piece of fish into a stunningly memorable feast. The sauce this week is red tomato sauce with basil and chili. This sauce is so simple, so effective, everyone needs to know how to make it. With one humble sauce, you can make pasta, rice, fish, chicken, pizza, put on a pizza base, lasagna. You thought you couldn't cook with this, you now have six recipes that you can impress your friends with. I will put the recipe in the episode notes on the frenziedandsustain.com website, but you will need 40 grams of basil, separate the leaves from the stalks, we're going to use them separately, one fresh chili pepper, go for a hotter one if you can, three cloves of garlic, lug of olive oil, two tins of chopped tomatoes, and most importantly, red wine vinegar. Don't waste your time peeling a garlic, I just put it on a work surface and thump it as hard as I can and pull off the layers of skin on the outside and roughly, roughly chop it up. Always, you could use a garlic press if you prefer. Chop up your basil stalks, 
put a slice in your chili, um, it will stop it exploding, but the bigger the slice actually lets the flavors and the heat out from the center from the seeds. So modulate how hot you want it by how many slits you put in there. Take a large pan and put it on a medium heat. Add two tablespoons of olive oil, add the chili, chopped basil stalks and crushed garlic. Stir for two or three minutes. You'll know when it's ready because you'll smell the garlic and it'll start to go brown. We don't want to burn it. Add the tinned tomatoes, a good pinch of salt. Tomatoes love salt, so the more salt within reason, uh, the sweeter the tomatoes will get. I start for that to quantity, maybe half a teaspoon, half a teaspoon of salt. Add a little more right at the end once you've had a taste of it. Good pinch of black pepper. How do you select good tins of chopped tomatoes? I don't know. I choose the ones with the most stars on a cardo. Now, I realize that this podcast has worldwide appeal. So if you are a member of the uncontacted Arrow people in the Amazonian basin in western Brazil, you can just use Tesco's equivalent. Now, the important part with many sauces, what we're trying to do is to concentrate the flavors. We don't want watery tomato. We want something intense and rich and thick. So let the pan simmer for around 30 minutes. Keep an eye on it. When the liquid is gone and you're left with a thick mush, you're ready to taste the sauce. If it's rich and intense, you're done. If not, give it another 10 minutes. Now, the thing that lifts this from something okay to something stunning is the swig of red wine vinegar at the end. Hit it with around 15 mils of red wine vinegar. That's a tablespoon, maybe a tad more. Just elevates it into the stratosphere. It takes a few minutes of work, 30 minutes of cooking, and then you've suddenly got at least six meals that you can do. I don't really want to have adverts in my podcast, but we are way over our candle and pan budget, so I'm having to interrupt you to pay some bills. Do you find chewing your food too taxing? Is biting your chicken tiring you out? Then try soup. It is the same delicious food, but in a liquid form. And there are at least three types of soup. If you make it with tomatoes, it is called tomato soup. Random vegetables produce vegetable soup. Smoked haddock and potatoes becomes cullen skink. Whatever the occasion, consume your calories with soup. Give your jaw a vacation with soup. Now you can drink and drive as long as it's soup. Now, musing on muons. The muon is a fat electron with an extremely short lifespan. They live for 2.2 millionths of a second, or 2.2 microseconds. The conundrum is that they are created at the top of our atmosphere some 100 kilometers away. If they were to actually travel at the speed of light, then in 2.2 microseconds, they would only be able to travel 660 meters. How are they living so long to complete the journey to us? We must consider one of the key points of relativity. Unstable particles don't experience time as you, an external observer, measures it. They experience it according to their own onboard clocks, which will run slower the closer they move to the speed of light. Time dilates for them, which means that we will observe them living for longer than 2.2 microseconds from our reference frame. The faster they move, the farther we'll see them travel. How does this work out for the muon? From its reference frame, time passes normally, so it will only live for 2.2 microseconds, according to its own clocks. As predicted by Einstein, as it hurtles towards us at close to the speed of light, distances contract in the direction of motion. If a muon was traveling at 0.994 the speed of light, 
660 meters from outside would only appear as 3 meters to the muon. A journey of 100 kilometers down to the surface would appear to be a journey of only 450 meters in the muon's reference frame, taking up 1.5 microseconds of time according to the muon's onboard clock. So the muon arrives on Earth, sure it's no spring chicken, but certainly young enough to take up golf or complain that things aren't as good as they used to be. It's time for literally the last section. There are a large number of negative words in the English language for which there's never been a positive equivalent. So, for example, we have inert, but we're prevented from saying that the Tesla Model S is full of ert. But some words just lost their counterparts, and so it is with this week's word. The highly useful word impede has lost its equally useful buddy, expede. We do have the sense in expedite, but tragically, expede has expired. Until now. I want you to go out and expede its coming back by slipping it into sentences. I have been doing it for years, and everyone instantly understands it and don't realize they've been linguistically mugged. And that brings us to the end of literally the last section. That's also the end of this week's podcast. In next week's Brainy Lecture, we have the phenomenal so outrageous Einstein called it spooky action at a distance, and he was not at all amused by it. How can two entangled particles communicate with each other across the entire universe instantly? Our musical spot looks at the last train to Clarksville. If you were so keen, why don't you want her to take the next train? We have Hat of the Week. Next week's sauce, a sauce, my kingdom for a sauce, is so delicious, Prince Charles is still told off by his mother for licking it off his plate. Literally, the last section asked the question, was Javert in Victor Hugo's Les Miserables a crime-fighting superstar or a work-shy fop? Please come back next week, even if you just have a blind date with a nerd and you don't want the conversation to flag. Please subscribe, check out the rest of the episodes in the notes on frenziedandsustain.com. I'll also include a link to Gwyneth Paltrow's Vagina Candle. Wait, hang on a minute. Was he serious about the candle? Well, if that was true, maybe the muon really does demonstrate relativistic time dilation, you all say. And remember, the geeks shall inherit the earth, finally. Finally.